We are finishing up our sermon series on the lectionary that we've been going through throughout the entire summer. Next week, we'll start a whole new sermon series for our kickoff Sunday, but this week we're finishing up with our lectionary passage from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read just the first part of the chapter and the last part of the chapter, but truly the whole chapter really is about the meaning of faith. Uh, It's found on page 978 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along with me. But before I read that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you and we thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with the first verse and then skipping over to the 29th verse. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me or to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice, obtained promises and shut the mouths of the lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better, so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarded its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, God of Christ. Some of you know that each year during Memorial Day weekend, I go with Julianne's family to the beach. This past year, I had plans like every year to go and sit on the beach the entire weekend, but I got a little sunburn on the first day, so I spent most of the weekend inside watching TV. This year, for some reason, I found myself watching the National Spelling Bee that comes on during Memorial Day weekend. I don't know if you've ever watched these kids, but they are amazing. Uh, 
They spell the most outlandish words, the most amazing words, and it's truly a miracle for someone like me who doesn't know my I before my E's or any of those things like that. They, play, they spell crazy words, words that I don't even think are words. And by the way, I've tried to practice these before I say these out loud. Synegexti, Charidriform, and Ditalini, Ditalini. They've spelled words like that this past year in order to win the Spelling Bee Championship. It's amazing to me the process that they go through. If you've ever watched this before, usually what happens, the candidates are up on the stage and then the judge will read a word, a random word out to them. And then usually what the candidate does, the competitor does, is they'll ask maybe for the word to be repeated and then they will ask for uh, the, the derivation of the word, the language of origin. And usually, for instance, in Ditalini, the, the language of origin would have been Italian. And so the judge tells them that it's Italian. And then they ask for something along the lines of, of a definition. Can you give me a definition of the word? And so in the case of Ditalini, it is a, a small piece of pasta that looks like an elbow, sort of like tiny elbow macaroni. That's what Ditalini is. And then finally, after asking for the definition, they ask that you use the word in a sentence. And so a sentence might be, Craft, the craft company uses Ditalini in their macaroni and cheese instant pasta. After all of those things, somehow, someway, they figure out how to spell the word. Well, this morning, the writer of the book of Hebrews has given us a word to spell, and the word is faith. If you didn't know, faith is a Middle English word that has British and, and French derivations from it, but that doesn't come from our biblical reading. But what the Bible does tell us is it gives us a very clear definition. If you ask for the definition, this is what it is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That means that even though we haven't seen the promises of God and their fullness of yet, we know and believe that those promises will come true. As William Barclay says, it's basing our lives on the future and not on the present. It's believing in what is to come, not putting our faith in what is here and now. That's the definition of, of faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But he doesn't stop there. In the author of Hebrews uses it in a sentence, a long sentence of 40-some-odd verses, 40-some-odd examples where he puts skin on faith, concrete examples of what it means to be faithful. Example after example of, from, from Jewish Scripture, from the Old Testament, of people, person after person, using their faith when it seemed like maybe all odds were against them. Examples like Abraham and Sarah, who uh, had a child even though it was against all odds. So Abraham, who was willing to give that child up because he thought that's what God wanted. Isaac and Jacob and Esau. Moses going in and, and standing up against Pharaoh even though all odds were against him. David and, and the kings and all the people who had tried to be faithful to God over the years. Example after example of putting skin on faith so that you could see beyond a shadow of a doubt with a concrete example of what faith is. 
Now, for most of us, we stop at that definition. We think of faith as something up here, something we have to believe, something we have to recite, just like you would recite a definition, just like we recite the Apostles' Creed. Faith is something that that stays up here in our head. But these concrete examples remind us that faith, true faith, is something that we have to put flesh on. It's not just something in our mind, but it's something in our heart. It's something in our hands, something in our feet. It's the way we live our lives based on what God has promised, not on what we're dealing with today. Based on the kingdom come, not based on the kingdoms that we have built ourselves. We live according to those promises, live according to those rules and those values, not on the rules and values of the world around us. That's because we believe with faith that the kingdom will come. And so we should live it out now. That means, as I told the children this morning, when you hear things like love your enemies, even though that seems like a crazy thing to do today in the kingdom come, that's what we will do. When the Bible talks about building relationships with people who are different than us, people who are, are, look different than us, people who have different thoughts, different values than us, something that's outside of our comfort zone here and now, but in the kingdom come, we will all be children of God. And so those relationships will not only be natural, but they will be what we are called to do, who we are called to be. Each week I try to give you, truthfully, some example in my sermon, some little story of a person who lives by faith. An example of this faith with flesh on, and I'm going to do so today. This past week, I was learning about a a young woman named Claire Harris, who was from Fermanagh, Northern Ireland. I was talking to a friend of mine over there, just about some things going on over there, and she told me about Claire. Claire grew up, she's in Northern Ireland, and she, uh, even though she's still a young woman, she has spent her life dedicated to ending violence and trying to create peace all over the world. And she's done so by building relationships. She left Northern Ireland and went to the Philippines and worked with people who looked totally different than her, tried to learn their language, all because she wanted to hear their story of why they resort to violence so often. She moved to Brooklyn, to Brownsville, where there are gangs in the streets, and she moved there to hear their story, to learn from them, to try to get them to sit around a table together so that they could listen to each other and understand why they're violent so often. Then finally, she has gone back to to Northern Ireland, to Belfast, where she works with Protestant men and and Catholic men who spend a lot of their days creating violence and vandalism all over the streets. And to her surprise, when she brought them to the table, she found out they actually had a lot in common. One of the things they had in common is they really didn't understand the gravity of their violence. They thought, oh, it's just something we do when we're bored. And she said, I know how to fix that. We'll find another relationship. And so she went and found a group of refugees in Belfast who had moved from Africa to escape violence so that they could tell their story about why they left violence behind, how that violence had affected their lives so dearly. She was living for the next kingdom, a kingdom where relationships and boundary walls are, are, where relationships are built and boundary walls are torn down, where not only Protestants and Catholics can talk to each other, but where Africans and Irish people can talk to each other. A place where we are all children of God because that's what the kingdom of God looks like. 
She was basing her life, basing her actions on what she believed was to come and not the way the world looks right now. She received several awards for it, in fact. She had been congratulated many times over for her hard and wonderful work. The problem for most of us is that time and time again, we try to live by faith, but we don't get that reward we're looking for. That little bunny in the, in the bag remains unseen. That faith continues to be unseen. Those things, those promises that we want to see just remain quite out of sight, just a little bit out of sight. And so it's hard to continue to be faithful people when what we see around us is the opposite. That's when faith feels like treachery, like a, a marathon, like we're running a race that we're never going to get to the end of. That's why I think this list that I read at the end is so important. Because in this long list of people of faith that the author of Hebrews describes to us, he ends by telling us about a group of people of faith who also did not see their reward. People who were martyrs. People who were thrown in prison. People who gave their lives for their faith. Especially and most importantly, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Those people who were faithful in spite of the fact that their hopes and their dreams remained just a little bit out of sight. Those people were just as inspiring because even up until death, they never gave up hope. I was reading a little devotional this week with our staff and it was written by a man named Robert Palms who worked with Billy Graham a lot and went with his uh, his crusades all over the world and he was telling a little story about a crusade they did in England and and while they were sitting there finishing a wonderful day of, of sharing the gospel with so many people they came back to their hotel room and they turned on their television set and, and watched another preacher an English preacher that was fairly famous there in in England named David Watson but he wasn't preaching he was actually doing an interview with the BBC and and in this interview he was talking about his own life how he was fighting cancer every single day of his life, but yet he continued to have faith. He continued to believe. He knew that God was going to help him. He knew that God was going to heal him. He knew that God had him in the palm of his hand. And while they were sitting there watching, uh, one of their friends who lived in England came in and said, that was filmed about three or four weeks ago. David Watson just recently passed away. Isn't it so tragic to hear his story? Billy Graham smiled and said, no, what would have been tragic is if he had died without hope. But here, even now, even with death upon him, he had hope. Hope in the promises of God. Hope in the kingdom come. Hope that God would still have an answer when all other answers seemed lost. That's why this last little bit means so much to me because there's so many people around us who run that marathon of faith every single day, but they don't give up. They keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep running that race. Keep being faithful in spite of all the odds against them. They keep being faithful so that they can see, others can see that faith in them. I think I've told you before, I used to be a runner. I used to run years ago, right, right before I came here to Tallahassee. In fact, the Peachtree Road Race that's in Atlanta, I ran for 13 years straight before I finally stopped running it. 
There were some years where I would run and I would be in great shape. I just would fly through. And then there were other years where I could barely get one foot in front of the other. But I learned a little secret. This was my secret on those years where I didn't think I could make it. I started watching the people on the sidelines, the people who were around me, who were cheering me on. I'd run by one apartment building where my friend Rayburn lived. He was always out there with a cup of coffee, and he would wave to me. And then I'd pass by him, and I'd run by a Catholic church. There was always this Catholic priest out there who would throw holy water on you as you ran by. I passed by him, and you get a little bit further, there was Piedmont Hospital right there where some of the patients would come out and cheer you on. I tell you what, that would get my adrenaline pumping, and I would keep going. Finally, I'd turn the corner, and I would know that Julianne was right up there at the end with a, a, a cup of latte waiting on me to get to the finish line. I know these people were around me, cheering me on hoping, praying that I would just keep putting one foot in front of the other until I got to that finish line. I dare say that's who the author is talking about when he talks about those cloud of witnesses who's cheering us on. All these people that he just mentioned, they've crossed the finish line. And now they're cheering for us. They're wanting us to keep moving. They're wanting us to keep faithful. In spite of all the reasons and all the opportunities we have to quit and to give up, they are cheering us on as we go. And not just the people that we talked about in the Bible, but those people in your life and those people in my life who have been such incredible examples of faithfulness for all of us. I think about them every time I come into this sanctuary. Julia Robinson, who hand-knitted these wonderful uh, pyramids. Think of Jean McCulley and all the wonderful things she did for this church. Think of Bill Reed and how all the ways he took care of wonderful children in our community. Think of Lance Scalf. I think of, of so many other people. Dr. Watt, who, who helped us get our, our mission trip started so many years ago. Time after time, Duff Mackey and wonderful other people that I think about every time I walk into this sanctuary. And I remember, they've crossed the finish line. And now they're cheering for us. They're cheering for us to keep moving, to keep putting one step in front of the other, to not give up. They have fought the good fight. They have finished the race. They have kept the faith. And now it's our turn. And in those moments when we feel like we can't go forward, look at those people cheering around us and have your hope renewed. Look at those people around us cheering. Think of those people who have gone on before us and keep on running. Because when you do that, you're putting flesh on faith. You're being an example of faith for other people who are all around us. Other people all around us who may be thinking about quitting too. You're giving them the courage that they need to keep running on faith just like you and me. Let that be so for all of us. To the glory of God. Amen.